And by the way, work is, it's 95% emotion, 5% ration. Everyone, oh, it's business, business. It's all emotion. That's a leader's responsibility, not to make people happy, but to help create an environment where people can thrive. And by giving feedback, you are doing that. And I would highly recommend to look somebody square in the eyes and give them the feedback and smile and say, I'm here for you. It's, it's worth its weight in gold, 100%. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello, and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. I'm absolutely delighted today to bring to you all the energetic, inspirational, full of great feedback and reporting, Tina Clements. Now, she's a hands-on keynote speaker, author, coach, facilitator. She's an entrepreneur.com contributor and, of course, a very successful leader who, before launching the BMW Group joint venture, the retail performance company, in 2013, she worked for 10 years within BMW, where she was involved in learning and development. Actually, she's been learning development since 1996. We've got a real pro with us today on the L&D podcast. I'm delighted to, to welcome her to you. Throughout her career, she has held leadership positions, including vice president, operations manager, and training manager. And now, believing that a company's success is directly related to the engagement of its people, Tina excels at moving businesses forward and motivating and growing talent. So today we're going to be talking about the importance of giving performance feedback, how to give it more relevance, especially as we all move into this new world of remote working. But before we do, I also want to just put in there a little plug because Tina is the author of a great book called The Art of Facilitation, Communicate So They Remember. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in the podcast. And of course, I will put a link to that as well if you want to grab your own copy. But what I really want to get to is Tina is someone who teaches others how to master the art of facilitation and feedback and how we can use that to our advantage. So today we're going to jump in. Let's discover how we can give feedback with respect. Let's learn how we can get our employees to accept and make changes to their behaviours in a way that really helps contribute to positive performance. So Tina, absolute delight to welcome you to the show. How are you feeling? I am feeling fabulous, my friend, and I, I am so honored to be here. Thank you. I'm super stoked to have you here. Of course, from the other side of the pond as well from us in the UK, but that doesn't mean the message doesn't work globally. We're going to be talking about today. Facilitation and feedback is universal, and it's something we need to get right if we really want to excel performance within our teams. Before we get into the nitty gritty, what I'd like to ask just to crack on with really is tell us a little bit about your background, what's led you to, to your journey to this podcast today, and, and, and yeah, just frame it a little bit for our listeners. The, like most people, I feel, my journey was lucky and accidental. I was in learning and development my entire career, and a friend who was working in human resources said, I'm leaving my role, you should go for it. And I said, HR, you're out of your mind. And thank God I didn't listen to myself nor her. And I jumped in with both feet and just fell in love, just absolutely fell in love and learned and made a million mistakes 
And from there, I was asked to launch and run the Retail Performance Company, which is an HR services training, learning and development organization eight years ago. So it was happenstance, luck, knowing the right people to support and encourage. And here we are today with you, my dear friend. <laughs> now, it's been a really good journey, a great book as well. So we're going to have a link and talk about it a bit later on. But let's I'm gonna dive in with a, a quite an aggressive question. I don't mean it to be, but right off the back. So. We're talking about feedback. Why do leaders not give feedback? Why are we scared to give it? Why don't we do that enough at the moment? Or is there even a problem? Is that why I'm imagining it? Is there an issue with a lack of feedback? There's, a, there's an absolute issue because everyone needs three feedback to, to thrive and shift and change. It's the equivalent of swimming a race, a swim race. When you swim a race, you frequently have to head up as it's called, you swim, 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 and head up. Because I have swum a race and thought I won because I hit land, but it turns out I went in the wrong direction. So I won a race that nobody else was winning. In other words, I, you need to frequently put your head up and get feedback to ensure that you're headed in the right direction. And to answer your question directly, in my experience, the reason why leaders don't give feedback is because they're afraid and they're afraid of conflict. So many humans are conflict adverse. So instead of putting themselves in perceived conflict by giving that feedback, because they don't wanna look like the bad guy, whatever their motivation, they just don't give it. And they're giving such a disservice by not contributing and not giving that feedback. That's in my experience, the number one reason why. So do you think a lot of us as leaders automatically associate feedback then with a with a negative as in we, all, we only do it to give negative views because from my perspective you want to feedback positive and negative right and actually I love your yes. kind of jump in with your swimming analogy so I, I do I used to do a lot of open water swimming and when you do it's not just breathing but you need to sight as well right so feedback helps see you where you're going if you're using that analogy so why do we have that association with feedback being always negative it's a great point it's experiential from a young age our parents are, stop, no, no. I read somewhere a child hears the word no 82 times in a day between school and parents and whatnot. So it's kind of embedded in our, in our DNA that that's what it's about. But you make such an amazing point. Why can't feedback be positive as well? Hey, Sam, come here for a second. You got a second? I just want you to know the way you handled that client, really well done. Could you have done it any better? Would you change anything? Yeah, maybe next, you know, you can always, if there is constructive, you could put it in there, but why are we not stopping and going, come here for a second? That's really, that's well, keep that up. Keep that up. It's a great point. Really good point. Okay. I'm, going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate now then with you. I, I adopt that approach. I'm going, all right, we've got leaders and, and hey, um, Jesse, you know, how could you have done that better? Great, cool. But if I'm doing that all the time, Surely there's a, there's a there's a pull then that it's not consistent. Maybe if I'm always doing it in, in that kind of approach, when I hear something, I'm adjusting it straight away. I can totally see the merit in it. Should we be more conformist in the way that we give feedback? And so should there be a timetable? Should we schedule it? When's the best time to give feedback? Immediately. Wow, okay. what a fabulous question. In the moment. it's. So I, I don't I, do I, this. I'm jumping in, but I don't do this. So I might be I, making a, an error here. If I do it immediately, sometimes your reaction's too, I can use the word aggressive again, but you know, sometimes you need to let it absorb. And I want to go, I'll, I'll sleep in that for 24 hours and I'll be more restrained, maybe more, maybe I better give better feedback if I've had a chance to sit on it. Mm -hmm. that, that, you reckon that could be holding you back? So I don't mean to drop the question, but just, I'm, I'm not doing what you said is a good thing. So I want to, I want to get better. It's, it's, and yeah, you, 
Yay. Woohoo. You want to get better. Excellent. It's because we all do. Guess who doesn't do it perfectly all the time either? Me. And I teach this. It's not easy, right? I'm not a fan when one of my answers is it depends, but in this case, it depends. Because if it's an emotional, if you know that giving feedback in that moment will not be facilitated well, then don't do it. In other words, if, the, if you, and no one knows yourself better than you, right? So you have to, in that moment, check yourself. And that's the first step of giving feedback is to ask yourself, why am I giving the feedback? If it's for me, because I've seen some leaders give feedback that almost blows out someone else's candles to make theirs shine brighter. Okay. That's not a motivation to give feedback. Yeah. Stop and say, okay, what's really going on here? So if you can in that moment, the first step is, hey, got a second? And bring that, first of all, if you're with a group or a team, bring that person away. You never want to have a conversation like this in front of anyone else. This is private and personal. But if you can in that moment, go, got a second? Come here. And then the next step would be, again, if you are controlled and you know it's about that person and you are, your motivation is to help that guy elevate, stop and go, so do you know why? Do you know why I want to have a quick chat? 99 out of 100 times, that person will know. Absolutely. Yeah, boss. It's because I could have done that. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you think you could have done? You're not even giving feedback. You're giving that person the opportunity to give him or herself the feedback. And then you can direct from there. But wow, that was a long winded way of saying with immediacy. It's I hate I hate the analogy, but it's if a dog poops. On the carpet, you have to, you can't wait till to give the a good feedback. example, though. You're right. There's no it's point the doing it a day later. It doesn't know what it's been told off for, right? Or whatever it is. Old right. school, old school context, but it's it's definitely true. <laughs> but in, interestingly, because I know obviously your skill is not just feedback, it's facilitation. Those two things go hand in hand. And you've made, you made that really clear already in, in this podcast, which is great. So something that's interesting, though, is you said actually not even giving feedback sometimes. The feedback is actually questioning. And that's something different. And maybe as a leader, that my, I often want to give and impart my expertise on someone else by saying, you know, well, I yes. would have done it this way. But actually, that's not what you're saying. You're saying the feedback often is for them to find that feedback themselves by re-questioning, which is slightly different. Mm -hmm. I really like that approach, by the way. Is, 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 mm -hmm. that, is that typically what you'd recommend in the first instance, get them to re-question? Or at what point Always. do we start to direct? You, you want to partner with the person because everyone believes their own data. When I put my finger in your face and say change, it's the equivalent of me telling a teenager to get out of bed at one o'clock in the afternoon. Get up, get up. They're just going to be get <laughs> sawed off. The, the, am I allowed to say that as an American? No, I apologize. <laughs> it's, it's impossible. A person to change has to want to change. They have to self-motivate. By asking the question, what do you think you could have done? That person comes up with the solution and there's a much better chance than that new solution will be uh, applied because I came up with it. You didn't tell me to do it. I chose to do it. Everyone likes to be in control. So you mentioned a really good point though, Nick, which is sometimes I need to impart my direction for a few reasons. Number one, the employee doesn't know what to do. I, I have a 23-year-old employee. She's fabulous. I can't expect her to know what I know. I'm much older. I almost said my age. I am so much older, therefore more experienced. It's my job. So what could you have done? Okay, you don't know. That's okay. Next time, what if you tried this? That's great. Okay, let's go ahead and try that. And then she'll ultimately do that. Maybe not correctly. Then we do it again. All right, how'd that feel? What else? Yeah, why don't you try it that way? So you're, you're, it's almost like the ocean, right? It's just waves in and out, in and out. And you have to trust your gut. 
on when to know. But anytime you can bring in that person and let them come up with their own solution, 100% of the time, that's the way to go. So actually often using using that example, the feedback we're giving as leaders is just saying, that's a great idea. Or you know, what would you ask them the question, get them to come with the answers and then just confirming going, you know what, that sounds great. Let's try that. Mm -hmm. you know, exactly. Really confirm what they've said. So what happens exactly. when the feedback is negative then? You know, we have an inherent willingness to want to try and avoid giving feedback because we assume you know, it may be taken negative or maybe it's going to be a negative what we're giving. How do we go about handling conflict, particularly if someone's pushing back? Yeah. The, and it will happen. Inevitably, it will happen in, in, your, in your world. In my experience, the key, the critical element is to explain the why and set expectations. So, Nick, I know that you can elevate here at this company. I can see it. I can see your potential. And the only person getting in your way right now is you based on the XYZ behavior that we just talked about. And do you feel like you can get it? Yes, I really do. I, I want to help you get there. And you being late now three weeks in a row, what message is that sending to the rest of the team? What does that say to me? So what are the expectations that we set when you when you signed the contract and said you would be here at 8.30 sharp every single day? Okay, great. Okay, great. So if you explain the why, you and I've had huge, burly human beings screaming in my face, and I've said, brother, do you want to get, you've told me when you started here that you want to be the director. How can I... Can you let that happen when you keep behaving like this? What? No, I guess what? And I've seen a tension reduction just by explaining the why. I will tell you it is not easy. It is something that I had to practice. And when I first started in human resources, I was incredibly poor at it because, first of all, I was taking on everyone's problems for myself. Here's how you can fix it. Here's, that's not, no, oh, just uh, there's nothing a lot to of do. HR people listening to this recognizing and, and <laughs> sympathizing. Are they doing the bobbleheads? Like yeah. <laughs> right? And I know you asked a specific question, but that I would think for me, in my experience, and what we teach the most is when you are giving feedback, step back and originally say, it has, this is all about this person. And it is a gift. The message that I am giving this person, whether or not they choose to receive it and take action on it, is a gift. They get to then choose and elevate or not. It's up to them. My job is to choose how I deliver that message. So again, to reiterate, it's about the why. Brother love, I'm here because I care about you. And I work with a lot of factories. The feedback becomes a conflict because it's embarrassing. So I've had to have this conversation. I've had to have conversations around people who dress inappropriately, smell bad on a daily basis, which has a complete, a huge compromise in a small environment, right? So it's not performance related, but it's embarrassing for them, which immediately creates yeah. conflict. And if you set, again, goes back to the set expectations, explain the why with respect, not, dude, you stink, you better fix that or get out, you know, it's, I care about you and I know. So, and then it goes back to the, what we discussed before, which is, so what do you think we can do about it? What, what solutions do you have? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you, I've noticed this. I want to see you get here. How do you think we can come together to make that happen? Everything you've said so far, you've, you've opened with what questions and how questions, which I love. But you quite deliberately haven't asked any why questions, but you are explaining the why. And the reason I mention this being important, when we're in sales, we, we, I've been taught from a, a long time ago, never ask why, because it's inherently aggressive to ask. It's inherently to say, someone has to justify their position. If you ask a what, 
you know, what about that? And what made you come to that decision? And, and what was it in your thought process? Allowed, and how did you do that? That's all positive reinforcement. What I think is really interesting, and every example you've given, I've been listening for it, and you haven't once said, to my recollection, you know, why do you do it like this? Because that makes someone go, well, because of, you know, it's, it makes you more defensive. But the why is actually a really important element to feedback, but it's explaining the why without asking why. Is this something I'm picking up on the thing? But I think, is that something that you, is deliberate? Do you deliberately avoid asking why questions? Is this just a sales thing? Or is, that, is it a deliberate choice that you're focusing more on how and what and when questions instead? I'm just intrigued to know. Wow, that is a fabulous question. And I need to be transparent and admit something to you. Okay. As a parent, I am a failure in my own head because I ask my daughter why all the time and I watch her and then I come out of my body and say, what are you, what are you doing? You know what reaction you'll get. She immediately does this and I can't stop it because so why did you do that? Why didn't you do what I said? Why, why, why? It's, but yet with my adults who are just babies <laughs> in big bodies, I, it, I don't do that because I know. So it is such a great pickup. I honestly didn't recognize that that's what I was doing with the adults. But you're right. It's help me understand. Tell me more about this. It's so words have power and you are 100% correct. The verbiage you choose has a direct correlation to the response that you will get. And if you want to have that tension reduction and not spark conflict, Yes, if you and and honestly, it's a coaching technique because when you ask coaching questions, it's not a why. It's it's tell me more and whatnot. Yeah. Because you want to get people from the present to the future. I don't care why necessarily, and they might, and that's therapy, that's psychology, that's right, that's going deep. Well, my mother did this, and that's why I'm showing up like that. To your point, it's it's okay. We're here. Do you want to get there? You do. Okay, well, this is what's blocking you right now. You're showing up and it's compromising the rest of the team. So yeah. how can we work through that? That is a really interesting pickup though. And it's an important one because again, words have power and you have control over the words. That you I'm glad I picked something up that's, uh, that <laughs> was new. If it's a little tip for those parents out there, all I always say is my kids is how do you think mommy would feel if she saw the room like this? <laughs> it's like okay exactly. not why you're exactly right throwing all the cushions on the floor for the umpteenth time you know <laughs> how exactly. do you think mommy would feel this okay but let's bring it up to today the new world of work COVID-19 yeah. as we know has affected the world globally we're all getting used to new ways of working sort of work 2.0 and whatever we want to do with our, with our mm -hmm. presentations how has that really affected though the way that we give feedback has it has it changed the way people are doing it is it still important to give feedback remotely what have you seen? What have you seen? Shay? It's more important than ever, quite frankly, because we're all so. I mean, I don't have to talk about how everyone is showing up for the during this pandemic, and and everyone is feeling so separated and lonely in all of the words. So we need that feedback even more than ever. The challenge for leaders is we're not seeing our employees, our colleagues, so it's more challenging to give the feedback because we're not seeing it to be able to give it. However, it, we can still see it, and for some people, myself included, my entire team is now remote. You know when somebody's not showing up. You know, what, and it could be as easy as a, hey, let's check in. What's going on for you? That's it. That can be the start of the feedback conversation. <sighs> well, okay, so what can we do about that? How can I help you with that? Feedback isn't, 
yes, in this case, uh, in that example, it's performance related, but it's it's very that topic is broad, right? It's how you yeah. are showing it, it's emotionally related, right? And by the way, all work is it's 95% emotion, 5% ration. Everyone, oh, it's business, business. It's all emotion. That's a leader's responsibility, not to make people happy, but to help create an environment where people can thrive. And by giving feedback, you are doing that. And I would highly recommend, and again, I know we're zoomed out and the camera, we're done with it. If you can do it on camera, do it on camera. To look somebody square in the eyes and give them the feedback and smile and say, I'm here for you. It's, it's worth its weight in gold, 100%. It's interesting. I realised the look in the eyes. I've got to get my camera position right now so I can do that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> when we talk about right at the start of this podcast, you said often leaders don't give feedback because of you know we're worried that it, the kind of reaction we're going to get to it because often it's you know someone wants to try and defend their position or we don't want to be negative. And yet all the reports pre-pandemic would always tell us that we're able to give negative feedback easier when we're not face to face. I know we're still face to face on video, but it's still a different, very different to being face-to-face. -face. So why do you think in the new world of work, we're struggling so much to give feedback? Because arguably it should be easier if we're not actually in the same room together, but like being on a phone call, it's easier to give negative feedback. No, I don't know. I don't know if there's any research behind this, but I would imagine it's easier to do on a Zoom call than it is actually in a face-to-face -face in the same room. Right, easier for whom? Why should it be easy? This is a challenge. It's hard to look somebody in the eyes and tell them something that could potentially hurt them. But that's my job. Yeah. My job is to help the person on the receiving end be become the best person that they can be. And to do that, I have to give them the fodder that I have. And I'm going to tell you, Nick, I have given feedback to people who don't work for me and didn't ask for it. And I'll say to them, are you open to a little feedback? And that's kind of a cliche way to open the floor. Nobody ever says no. And then I've given it. And that person has walked away and cursed me behind my back. And I'm not, I'm not kidding, but I couldn't go to sleep that night, not sharing what I saw because that person was being blocked for whatever reason. And I'm not advocating that to anyone listening. I am not saying this is what you should do. That, that was my, that was my choice because I feel strongly about this topic and that's, that's how I show up. That's, so your that's motivations are great because, as you said, the reason we do it is you want them to be the best versions of themselves. And to do that, we, we, we become that by learning from others. You know, that, that's how it comes, by feeding off the things that we read, the things that we see and what people tell us. And actually, our right. own version of ourselves is rarely how other people see us. And that's a really yeah. difficult thing sometimes to come to terms with. So what does happen, though? So we're having this Zoom feedback, yourself and I right now, and... I'm not really that happy, Tina, with some of the things you've had to say. And I'm, I'm objecting to you now. Like, how do you deal with someone who is objecting and actually isn't seeing it the way that you're seeing it? As much as you right. might say, Nick, this is what I'm seeing. I'm going, well, I, no, I, I just don't agree with you, Tina. Right, right. And that happens. That's really hard. The first thing to do is to acknowledge and validate. And that is so not natural for humans to do that. And P.S., acknowledging and validating does not mean you're agreeing. I could say X and the person says Z, complete opposite. And you know, you've seen it, you've experienced it. You know that you're accurate and you're, and you're headed in your heart. You said, I can understand how you feel that way. I, re I really can. Again, you can acknowledge and validate Hitler if you want to. That's not saying you agree with anything that happened, but you're just acknowledging the feeling, right? And if this person is, again, like this. It might be the first time this person is hearing feedback like this ever. So therefore they're stunned. It's, it's possible. And then from there, 
this is where you go to the question. So help me understand where you where you got that data. Help me understand. You're not asking why, now that you've taught me that, I'm putting that out there. <laughs> and you put it back in that person's court. Hopefully by then there's a tension reduction just with the acknowledgement and the validation of I've heard you and this is what I've heard you say. Now help me understand where you got that. Well, this is what really, okay, that's great. You have to hear the person's, in this case, the story, and then you ask the open-ended questions. Now, this is where I'm so blessed. I, I am a coach by trade as well. And I became a coach when I started in human resources, because again, Nick, I thought how hard, you know, this will be great HR, just fix people, just tell people what to do. That's not coaching, that's consulting. That's tell that okay. doesn't help anybody. So in this case, you have to stop and really actively listen and drill down. So what am I here? And probably do much more acknowledgement and validation throughout their conversation to drill down to the thing that will ultimately get you to this point. So what I'm really hearing you say is that it happened. However, what you felt was this and why you showed up was that, well, I guess that's what it is. There's always accuracy on your end if you've done your homework and, and, and yeah. you are giving them, you know, a, with, at the right time and right place and whatnot. And it's work. I'm saying this like I do it all the time. And it's the most simple that it's very hard because we are dealing with humans and emotions. So in that moment, when they are get like this, take a breath. It has nothing to do with you. Yes, I can understand why you feel that way. Tell me more about that. Let them exhaust themselves. Get it out and then drill down, drill down, drill down until the answer is exposed. And then you could say, so what I'm hearing you say is, so what do you think we can do about it? And then you go back to that next step, which is, so how can we solve this? And you put it back in their court. Yeah. Folks, I'm, I'm telling, it's not easy. It works. It takes time. It also takes, give yourself some kindness and some patience because you're not going to get it on the first shot. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. I should mention as well, you say you're a qualified coach. You've got a number of qualifications. I hadn't read out in my, uh, my introduction, but I certainly could have done. I mean, you're, you're very experienced. I think uh, to give some, some listeners some concepts here, you've, you've, you've earned the CPC and ELI MP accreditations. You've also got the DISC uh, accreditation, MBTI uh, Langevin, I mean, there's probably more as well. So, you know, very, very experienced uh, coach here with us on the HRND podcast, which I thought I'd just give some credentials there to back up your, uh, your coaching uh, <laughs> claims. Um, we've talked a lot about one-to-one -one feedback. Now, I'm uh, to reference this, I'm a huge fan of The Office, both the, the, the UK version and the US version, right? And something you often see in The Office with their, their smaller HR type meetings they have or learning development meetings they have. They'll have a, a rows of seats, speaker Steve Carell giving a talk and we get hecklers you get people that just want to shout out and you've got HR people or learning development managers and directors trying to manage a, a protocol a change a, a, an important announcement particularly over the recent uh, recent times how do we handle hecklers why do hecklers heckle and what can we do about them to try and improve 
that part of the feedback uh, algorithm, for want of a better word? I know something about this because I have been heckled. I can't even count how many times I have been heckled as a professional facilitator. Heckles heckle because, let me back up, the heckle has nothing to do with you almost every single time, and especially when you're facilitating a big group. The heckler is heckling for the same reason that a bully bullies. Something else is going on for that person, and the only way that they know how to respond is through the heckle. It could be something personal, and I've had every single one of these happen to me. A person who's going through something huge in their personal life, and they are angry and feeling deep things, and they're gonna take it out on you while you're literally talking on stage. I've had a person who just needs to feel smart and knows more than I, by the way, so many times I've taught something and people in the audience knew more than me, almost every time. And they needed to show that. Okay, great. Like uh, sometimes piece. I think that's complete, the one that I'm most, I've, I've come across most often, I think. A hundred percent. Yeah. Validation, acknowledgement, you're a hundred percent correct. So the motivation is up to them. It's really their noise. And that noise is that little inner critic in their voice, in their head, telling them something. I'm too stupid. I'm too old to be here. If I don't speak up, I will look obsolete and then I might get fired. I don't almost care. Of course I care. It doesn't matter, but there's a motivation. So now I am at the age where I enjoy the heckler because I get to use that as a teaching moment for whatever's going on. Now, it took me years and there's still that that moment of, <gasps> of the when it when it really happens and back in the beginning I would I would take it so personal I would break. I've had hecklers break me as I facilitate wow. because it you know immediately I'm failing. And with a heckler it's kind of like giving feedback because in that moment you could say all right Roger We've got something going on. How can I, what's going on for you right now? It's, and it depends on the level of heckle. Sometimes a heckler could be somebody as simple who's just talking to the person next to them and making snide comments. And that's an easy solve if it continues, which is just the stand and touch. Just walk over subtly and you stand next to the person. It's almost impossible for someone to continue a heckle if you are standing on top of them literally. And then, and but if it does, maybe just give them a slight touch on the elbow, which arguably is the only place on a human that you can touch without having any innuendo or any other context. Sure. Although, and again, I don't, I don't actually support touching at all, but just in case that, that, that is the equivalent of a safe place. So that is a very subtle thing that you can do. If it continues, then you need a sidebar. And that's where you, hey, got a second? And you ask the question, so what's going on for you? What's up? I, I've, now I've done this a few times and I've had people react with tears. I've had people say, well, it's just, a, and then you, you, this is where the coaching techniques come in a little bit. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is blah, 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 blah. Do you think you can stick it out for the rest of the day? You want to go home? Then go home. That's fine. I support that. Or, okay, my favorite story, matter of fact, I just wrote about this, was uh, we'll call him Wolfgang. I had, I was asked to lead a, a group of vendor partners for one client. We were all competitors, but we were asked to come together for a client. And there was a gentleman in the room, we'll call him Wolfgang. And Wolfie was a uh, senior, much more experienced, had been with the client for years longer, but I was asked to lead for whatever reason. And it was, it was rough. He was abusive. He was calling out once he actually rolled his eyes and gave the, pff, the guffaw at the same time. 
And if it had been me years ago, I probably would have broken, but I knew what was going on. He was feeling obsolete, potentially obsolete. He was feeling, what if I am tossed aside? All the things. I mean, I wanted to react and say other things. And I did the sidebar and I said, hey, Wolfie, I really, I need your help. Can I call on you? Because this group needs your experience and your opinion. Is that, would that be okay with you? I just wanted to ask your opinion. And he immediately was like a kid on Christmas morning. And I made that sound so easy. It was very hard for me to really come because it was, it was important and I was being called out and it was challenging. And, And then we did it from there. So it takes work to handle the heckler. The number one piece of advice is it has nothing to do with you. Nothing. It's the same as giving feedback. It's on them. Stop, breathe, get focused, and then turn it around with your with your big girl questions and try to get to the root of what's what's really going on. So, I think that's a, a cracking example. A really good example. I'm glad they asked the question. Great to bring examples into the space as well. Because let's be honest, when it comes to the, the role of human resources and learning and development, like one of the key skills they need to have is, is facilitation. And, and feedback obviously is critical to, to how we do that. And actually often in quite sensitive situations, particularly with the pandemic. These could be consultations, these could be, you know, uh, potential redundancy calls or, or disciplinary grievances. And the art of facilitation is obviously is absolutely critical to do that well. If I was to ask you though, and we'll talk a little about the book in a minute, because obviously this touches upon it, but what part does fear play in, you know, in facilitation and, and what are the, the key kind of tools you would give to someone to say, you know what, this is going to be a tricky consultation for you. You're going to have to facilitate this well. This is how I would guide you to, to, to delivering that facilitation in the best possible manner. You know, tools mm-hmm. It's important to know, I've been doing this for 25 years and I cannot hold a piece of paper when I start facilitating because my hands shake. I still get the nerves. The only difference is now I've done this 3,000 times. So I know what they feel like. I know how to use them. So it's practice, practice, practice. It's experience really is, is number one. But the first is if you are facilitating in a particular space and you've never been there before, do everything you can to get to that space beforehand. Walk the space, let your body understand, and re- then ultimately your body will remember when you go to facilitate the next time. Breathing techniques beforehand. Truly, I like to do spra- straw breathing, which is to pretend there's a straw that makes you look funny in your mouth, I guess, like a walrus, and you breathe okay. in through your nose and then breathe out through your mouth slowly, and it slows your heart rate down, slow your speech. Uh, smiling is huge, releases dopamine, and it makes your audience have attention reduction just by seeing your own smile. My favorite way um, to use fear and to, to, to really, and to calm, become calm is humor. For me, that's, I use it in my everyday life to just, for myself, sometimes I will write mistakes into a PowerPoint or something just to give, uh, so I can self-deprecate. Did that, does that say lead or led? What? I'm sorry, guys. What's going on here? And it just it humanizes yourself to your audience, and then your audience has attention reduction. I took an improv class about 25 years ago, and that was the funniest part of me was taking the class. So I was not. I don't know what I was thinking, but the one thing I learned the most important is to be completely transparent in a moment. Audiences can smell fear then they get uncomfortable, then you're worse. And it just, this whole cyclical energy starts. 
So if you don't know what's going on or if you're lost or if you're whatever, when you're facilitating any message to stop and go, what was it? Guys, what was I saying? Or I have no idea what I'm supposed to say next. You, you can watch shoulders decompress as you say something like that. The number one key though is to, to know your stuff. Just because if you're confident and you know it, the audience doesn't know what you're going to say or do or react. So what? don't worry about it. Know it enough so you can, if you get off track, you can get back yeah. on track and that will decompress. But fear has a huge part in being able to facilitate and communicate your message with articulation, 100%. Interesting, you talked about the nerves at the start of this. I was on a workshop earlier this week with a, a guy called Jonathan Dream Edwards, who's a, a Paralympic silver medalist um, in high jump and actually world champion in high jump. And he said when he first started uh, in, in athletics, he used to get really nervous. You go into the arena and it would like, the nerves would just overtake you and how can you possibly perform? But through practice, you were saying your, your, your hand still shakes when you're holding the paper. He said now, if he doesn't get, he now knows when he gets the nerves that he's ready. And if he doesn't get nervous, he's almost more nervous because it makes him feel like he's not in that ready yes. mindset. He needs yes. those nerves to go, right, I've trained for this. The nerves have come in exactly when they should have done. I'm yes. now ready to perform. And I just thought it was a really interesting way of subverting how we usually associate nerves. And I know this was a chat last week and I was like, okay, God, I need, to, I need to take some of this into my own thinking. When I get nervous, actually, it means I'm ready. It means I'm ready. That's validating. I'm so glad you shared that. That's so validating. You know, I'm sure that he also uses the visualization does, technique, yeah. which I, in the beginning, would visualize me myself failing. Well, of course, then I was going to fail when I got up there. One of my best stories is I just started for BMW. Uh, the night before, the general manager, he asked me to present, and all I thought about was how it was going to go wrong. And it went it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Visualization is an, is an enormously important technique. If you visualize yourself up there and how you sound and people smiling at you and the words that are coming out of your mouth, then that's what will happen. Absolutely. That's what will happen. That's a good, I'm glad you brought up the Olympiads because that's all of the successful athletes in the world yeah. use visualization as a, as a positive technique. But I, want to, I can't leave the podcast without talking a little bit about your book because, it, well, I'll let, I'll let you tell us a little about it. But I know that in you know, the ability to listen, the ability to communicate effectively, which we talked about a lot today, that we know they're vital skills. They're really vital in the world of training and development. We know that's essential, definitely critical in the world of, of human resources, because if we get it right, then we can really motivate those around us. We can bring the smiles to the room, as you say, we can influence others and we can allow people to perform at their best, which as you mentioned earlier, is, is, is critical when we're giving feedback is to optimize the performance of those that we're working with. So within your book, you talk a lot about discovering where the blockages are and how to re remove those blockages to success. I'd love it if you can give us just a little bit of a snapshot into your book and what it's all about and, and, and just tell, I'll put a link in the episode notes, but tell them a little bit about your journey through that book and what we can, what we can take away from it. Thank you for that. It really is encompassed by this one statement written by Dave Meyer, who has been in the L&D industry forever. And it, it, his quote is, adults are babies in big bodies. You, we have to remember when we are communicating that the institutional focus of education and learning and development and sharing your message is moot. In other words, when we started to train people 
forever ago, it was because we were factory workers and we had to rotely teach them to do this and this and this. And we taught them the same way and expected the same result. And that's not how humans behave. If you've ever seen a four-year-old tell a story, they use their entire selves, mind and body connected. Um, I went to the star and then we <laughs> went to the, right? And that why are we expecting adults to be any different? They're not. So if we can remember that, when as we as we approach any message even if it's one-on-one -on -one or an entire facilitated class and i should say that is really what the focus of the book is it's my experience as a senior facilitator for all these years facilitating a group experience yeah. but the but the learning is the same if we can remember that everyone has different learning styles it, that people need to move when they are taking in information and people also need to be told what to do when they are done taking in the information of what's the call to action. Then I started writing the book that I'm writing now called Yes, You Do Have a Choice and all these other things a few years ago when I started and I realized this was the book I needed to write because it's what I love and yeah. it's what I do all the time. And I, it just kind of flowed out of me when my publisher and I were working through the whole thing. She even said, why aren't you writing about facilities? What is wrong with you? Write what you know. And so that's the, that's the genesis and the, the why it came out of me. And that is the focus of the book to help future facilitation warriors learn, sort of learn what I learned the hard way over the past 25 years to ensure their message gets across so the audience will remember. Amazing, amazing. Whether you're watching this podcast or listening to it, most people are going to be listening to it on audio. Uh, don't just take my word for the book. The, the Amazon reviews are excellent. You can go in. I'll put a link in the episode show notes. So go find it. Find your way through to the book. You were talking about um, learners. I'm a visual learner. And I, I didn't mention it earlier. I nearly did. I thought, no, I'll, I'll hold back. You were talking about when someone, someone's heckling in the room and the way that you, you handled the Wolfgang scenario. For me, it, you transported me in that moment to like, a, I haven't been to one, but I've witnessed them to like a Tony Robbins conference and the way that he addresses and gets that out of people without, without being intimidating and opens people up. You know, it's, and you were doing that in that scenario and it, it, visually that's where I went and it was quite interesting. So people do learn differently. And most of them think I'm bonkers that you've moved me to Tony Robbins in the middle of a, of a podcast, but you did. And that's, it, we, all were, we all learn very differently. My wife's the complete opposite to me. She'll learn. <laughs> in a different way <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and that happens right that's good because it, and and that's actually a really good point to bring up when um with spouses um i have a best friend who's a completely different learning style he's completely auditory and i am completely not and when we communicate and i we love each other we have to really adjust if he wants to make sure i take action it better be in order and it better be visual. That's it. And I and he better and and I have to come up with it. I'm kinesthetic as well. Yeah. And for him, I have to repeat it. Have him tell me what he heard. Then go back because he's completely auditory. So you bring up you bring up a really good point. <laughs> well, before we close the podcast, we're going to open the L and D vault. Opening the L and D vault. Something we do on every podcast where we talk a little bit about the things that we could change if we could. So question one, short and sweet. In hindsight, what's one thing you know now that you wish you'd known when you began your learning and development career? Oh, my God. The one thing is that uh, it's OK to make mistakes. There's no such thing. There really is only discoveries, no mistakes and and to ask for help. That is the one thing that I wish I Love had. That. Yes, for sure. Perfect. 
Question two, what's the one common myth you often hear in the workplace in relation to leadership and can you debunk it? I have done it. I'm the best at it. So therefore I, I can lead it. Okay. And yes, that can be debunked. And we don't have the time to debunk it right now. <laughs> <laughs> A whole other podcast, right? maybe another time. Last question. What is the one piece of advice you would give to someone who was recently appointed to a leadership role but had no previous experience in leadership? Prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Meaning don't go in there and start telling people what to do and start to just stop. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to not have a clue and learn first and take things in and then bring people in to come up with the solutions on your own. That is an amazing response. Tina, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the LND podcast. If people want to find out more about your services, about what you're doing, is there anywhere we can, we can direct them online? The Yes, rpcamerica.com is our website and the, all the information you need is there and I would love to hear from all of you. Amazing. I will definitely make sure that link is really accessible in the episode notes, guys. If you're listening to this, go to the episode notes. You can click straight through to that website. Of course, if you're an HR L&D professional listening to this podcast right now and you need support with an HR, HIS, L&D or associated vacancy, please do give me a call. As you know, I specialize in human resources recruitment globally, and I would love to be able to help you as well. But for now, I just want to say a huge thank you to the comments for joining me today on the HR L&D podcast. It's been my pleasure. And uh, I hope everyone gets as much out of this podcast as I have. It's been, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ciao. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favourite podcast channels. Till next time.